Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking about demolishing college costs with Ann Garcia. Right, yeah, we are talking about the high cost of college and how you can get that expense under control. And, you know, just in case you don't think that this is actually a problem, here's a a stat for folks. Since the year 2000, the price to attend college has skyrocketed. It's increased by nearly 180%. So just to put things in context, even the the higher price of housing doesn't really compare as it's only gone up around 80%. So we're talking about 100% more than the cost of housing. So we are excited to be speaking with Ann Garcia, who is known as the College Financial Lady. That's the name of her site, where she also has a masterclass. Uh, and her book, How to Pay for College, it covers all of the different strategies that you need to employ in order to get your kid through college without wrecking your retirement. And so we're excited to discuss all of those different approaches today. Anne, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We are excited to have this chat, and it's obviously, like Matt outlined, a major problem paying for college. But there are a lot of there's a lot of power in the hands of individuals that we're going to get to how they can kind of make choices that you know don't <laughs> end up completely screwing themselves over financially while still allowing their kid to pursue higher education. But the first question we ask everyone who comes on the show is, "What do you like to splurge on?" Matt and I we spend. Some people would say too much money on craft beer. We say, no way. We spend the perfect amount. So what, what's that in your life? What is it that you love to splurge on? Right now, I'm splurging on the people I care about. And that seems to be, uh, you know, and just reestablishing those connections that over the last couple of years have maybe not been as strong as they once were. Mm-hmm. It seems oh. to be expressing itself a lot in travel this year. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So is this travel to see those individuals or is this travel with those individuals? I guess I'm, I'm thinking of your, your kids in college. <laughs> it's, it's both. So okay. we've been doing some college visits, doing some family visits. My kids graduate from college this year. So we are taking a big graduation trip where we're going to visit nice. some, some old friends. And then we're taking another trip later in the year with some, with some friends we haven't seen in, in a few years since, since pre-COVID. And planning a big family Thanksgiving get together, and then just doing a lot of things like, you know, making sure we're making time for friends. And sometimes if that's a weeknight, that means going out for dinner instead of having them over, you know, really just focused on on rebuilding connections that have that have been neglected for the last few years. Yeah, no, I get it. That's, and I'll, by the way, I'll say it sounds like your, your splurge is way more like noble sounding. You sound like an angel compared to Joel and I, where we're just like, oh, we're just, we like beer. We're dropping money on craft beer. <laughs> so maybe there's we... plenty of beer in my splurge too. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> maybe we should be uh, connecting buy, over beer. Buy, yeah. Connecting with over beer, buying beers for friends. Yes. Maybe that should be our, our new approach. <laughs> uh, but, and man, the, the cost of college, it's just a, a continual national conversation right now. Uh, and so we, I didn't mention this in the, the little introductory section there, but you're a fee only advisor as well. Well, which is amazing, but like, what is it that caused you to jump so deep into the the college planning space? Yeah, I do spend a lot of time on on college in my practice, and it really came out of early in my career. I found I was talking a lot to two groups of people. One were parents who were struggling to figure out how to pay for college, and another were young adults who had taken out so much in student loan that they were struggling with the basic 
building blocks of their adult financial life, you know, whether it's buying a house, saving for retirement, sometimes even having an emergency savings account. Mm. I'm a parent too. And so I also was trying to figure out how I was going to pay for college. And I realized that, that if I got deep into that topic, number one, I could help all these clients and my own family. Um, but number two, I could hopefully reduce the number of those young adults with massive student loan debt who were, who were, who were coming to me. Yeah. Yet, yet another noble cause. That <laughs> <day>. <laughs> All right. I, Selfish interest was also a big part yes, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Necessity is always a good mother of invention, yeah. for sure. All right, let's start with one of the one of the easiest questions possible. What's wrong with the way we do college in this country, Anne? I, and, and can you answer in 15 seconds or less? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, most things, I think, are wrong with how we, with how we do college. Okay, the um, whole system. <laughs> completely flawed. <laughs> let's just throw it all out and start over. No, that's not really going to work either. I mean, I do think, on the one hand... College is a great investment. Colleges do a great job of educating and preparing young people for for adulthood, for careers, for you know, for general citizenship. In addition to you know, knowledge and skills that they'll take into the you know into into the workforce. But far too many people spend far too much money to get it to get their kids educated. And there's this huge lack of transparency where people at all levels don't understand you know, how to make the educational system work for them. So, you know, you mentioned in your intro that the cost of college has increased by, what was it, 160%? Nearly 180% in the past 23 years, yeah. So here's the thing. Since the financial crisis of 2008-2009, the net price of college has stayed pretty much constant. So the net price is the actual amount that people pay. This is very different from the list price of college. Which just goes to say there are tons and tons of bargains out there in the college world. Um, unfortunately, the people who the most need those bargains are the people who have you know, the least resources available mm. to them to try to find them. Okay, so we're kind of talking about college just from a policy level, I guess, from a systemic level. But let's get personal uh, as well. And you mentioned you've got kids who are in college. You've got twins, uh, mm-hmm. at least for one more year. They're going to be in college. <laughs> and so how, how did you... Yourself, how did you approach the college admissions process with them? You know, we really went through phases. When when they were young, I was all about wanting them to go to my college. My husband felt the same <laughs> way. You know, we bought them all the Cal and Michigan stuff. We're, we're in Oregon, and we are not duck loyalists. <laughs> so we always ingrained in them the Cal and Michigan stuff that um, that we that we grew up with. And then one day I looked at what it would cost to send either of them to either of those colleges. And that was the last time they ever got one of those t-shirts. <laughs> um, because it was a real, you know, it was a real eye opener. And I thought, you know, much as I loved what I, what I got out of my college experience, I was not going to pay, you know, $60,000 a year times four times two, Ooh. two kids to get it. I and, don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I realized as I was thinking about what I wanted them to get out of going to Berkeley like I did was really more stuff that I wanted them to get out of an education that wasn't necessarily specific to, to where they went. Um, you know, I wanted them to have the opportunity to learn from brilliant professors who are leaders in their field. I wanted them to be able to study abroad and meet new friends and, you know, learn how to do their own laundry and, and I realized that that was available at a lot of different places. And so mm. we really switched our conversations at home from 
which college we wanted our kids to go to, to why we wanted them to go to college and, and use that to frame our conversations. We also, you know, took a good hard look at our budget and what kind of students our kids were and helped them to understand what the dollars were that were available to them for college and, and help them to find good choices that, that met their budget, but that also were good fits for them as students. Is, is that a part of the problem that there's a lot of nostalgia oftentimes for parents or they want to direct their kids in a certain way and they are paying attention less to the budget than, than they should and they're paying more attention to the emotional side of things, uh, it, it, whether it's personal emotions or the emotions of, their, of their, their child who says, hey, I really want to go to this school and nobody's really paying attention to the bottom line as much as they should be? Absolutely. I mean, 100%. You know, we're, we're parents, you know, we would take a bullet for our kids. Mm-hmm. So the thought of stretching ourselves financially for college to do right by them is, is, is not a, you know, it's not a hard thing for a lot of parents to do. And yeah. it's unfortunate because there are so many good choices at so many different price points. And, and really the best thing you can do for your kids is make sure that they graduate from college with a degree and with a minimum of student loan debt. That creates far more opportunities for them than the college that they actually choose to go to. Yeah, actually graduating and actually <laughs> actually getting that degree is so important. We're, we're going to talk a little bit here about just the benefits that individuals receive from college. But just another note on the personal note, I guess, it's often touted that AP courses, how they can help kids appeal to potential colleges and that there might actually be more scholarship opportunities with some of those advanced courses under their belt. But you personally, you found that those actually cost your kids money. Can you share that story with our, our listeners? Yeah. So so there's a lot that's great about advanced high school classes. One of the surprising things for us as we went through the application and admission process, um, because I'm like most parents where you know the school says, Challenge your kids as much as you can. So I encouraged my kids to take all the... Our, our high school was an IB school. So I encouraged my kids to take um, IB classes and whatnot. What we learned was that a lot of colleges, particularly the ones that have automatic scholarships, you know, the as long as you have a 3.7 GPA, you get this scholarship. If, you know, at 4.0, you get this scholarship. They do that on the basis of unweighted GPA. And my son was not a good fit for IB classes, and didn't do as well in, in them as he would have in standard classes. And ultimately, that although he got a great scholarship to the college that he's going to, he would have gotten $12,000 a year more hmm. had we minimized the, the IB classes that he was taking and managed his course load a little bit in that way. And I don't want to sound like, don't challenge your kid. But in his case, it wasn't just losing out on the financial aid, it was that he was so frustrated and felt so unsuccessful mm. in those classes that I think that ultimately they weren't, they weren't a good choice for him on a lot of, on a, on a lot of levels. Mm. You know, the, the number of nights that he was crying over his homework or saying, I'm the dumbest person in my class. You know, the good news is now that he's in college, he's a straight A student in college. You know, he got a D in high school calculus. He's tutoring statistics in college. You know, straight A student invited to the honors college after his freshman year, and and really seeing a ton of a ton of success. Um, and he also has said repeatedly to me, "I think I went to the hardest high school of anyone I know because all my <laughs> friends thought high school was easy and college is hard, and I thought high school was hard and and college was was easy." Interesting. 
So I think, you know, the thing with the thing with those advanced classes are it really depends where you're going to go to college or where you want to apply to college because obviously when you're choosing what classes you're going to take in high school, you have no idea where you're going to where you're going to go to college. If you're applying to the most selective colleges, having a full suite of AP and IB classes is really table stakes in the admissions process. Hmm. And I do think as a parent who's watched my kids transition from high school to college that those classes are terrific preparation for college curriculum. But I think it's also a good idea to, um, depending on your student, to to balance that with giving them opportunities to to be more successful as as students as well. You know, maybe choosing for advanced classes the topics that they're the most passionate about, so that they can, you know, really excel in those classes and 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 put in the time that they re- that they require because they tend to require loads and loads of homework. Okay, all right. I want to talk about value for a second because to me, so much of the way we talk about college should boil down to value, although it seems like based on the way parents approach it and based on the way a lot of uh, schools approach it too, that's not necessarily the focus for a lot of people. So I guess how impactful are the most highly selective schools in the outcome for young adults, their their life outcomes and their financial outcomes? Like, does going to the most highly selective schools make that big of a difference? Uh, like, I went to a kind of a commuter school here, not too far from where I live. And I'm doing okay. I don't know. I guess I'm just curious how that how that shakes out for most kids. Yeah, and it's such a good question and it's such an important question for, for families to, to think about. And I'm going to answer this a couple of ways. So first of all, first I'm going to say, you know, as we mentioned, I have twins. They're both graduating from college this year. One is at one of those single-digit acceptance rate private colleges. Another is at a public college that accepts more than three-quarters of applicants. Both of them have virtually identical job offers coming out of, of college. So there are tools now like Handshake and um, and whatnot that have really democratized the job search process for, for, for kids and given them loads more opportunities that are not dependent on which college they went to. You know, when I went to college, there were companies that came and recruited at your college, and those were the companies that you could get recruited to. And if they didn't come to your college... It was really tough to to get a job from them. I would say, you know, if your goal is investment banking, management consulting, hedge fund management, you probably need a name brand degree behind you, or at least, um, you know, whether and whether it's undergraduate or MBA is an, is another issue. But for the vast majority of students, where you go to college doesn't have nearly the impact as that you went to college. So, you know, college graduates as a group will earn about a million dollars more on average um, than their peers without college, without college degrees. The unemployment rate for college graduates is typically about half what it is for those without degrees. But the benefits extend beyond just the financial piece of it. College graduates live longer and healthier life. There's less type 2 diabetes, less heart disease among college graduates. College graduates are more likely to own homes unless they have excess student loan debt um, than those without it. And college graduates actually marry at higher rates and divorce at lower rates than people without without college degrees. So, so it's you're absolutely as a parent, you're absolutely right to want this for your kid, but you can want it in a way that doesn't wreck you. Okay, and so given, and I completely agree, but given kind of the, and interestingly enough, you talked about the difference between 
the sticker price and the price that the people actually pay. But when we look at kind of inflation and what it's done to the cost of college, we've seen more, a lot of colleges hire more administrators, which has led to in many ways, some of the higher costs that we've seen. But yeah, I guess if we're talking, how would you, if there's a parent and a student, a high school student who are kind of on the edge and they're saying, I'm not sure if college is what's best for my child, how would you kind of help them maybe decide, decipher whether or not it's the right path moving forward, given that the stakes and the potential expense is so high? Yeah. So there's no requirement that you go straight from high school to college. Yes. <laughs> First and foremost. I love that. And there's also no requirement that you start your education at a four-year college. You know, you can also start at a community college. So there are lots of, you know, lots of pathways that are that are open to people. There's also you know, we're seeing a little bit of a trend in some areas of reducing degree requirements. And so there may be an increasing number of career paths that become open to people without college degrees in the future than there than there are today. The challenge is most of those are are asking for experience in lieu of a degree. So that is not to say that the high school graduate is going to walk into the same set of career options as the college graduate, but that the high school graduate can can put in the time and effort in establishing a career and perhaps 10 years down the road be eligible for jobs that someone newly out of college might have earlier earlier access to. That's true. Yeah. No, I, I think the uh, taking a gap year is basically what you're saying, right? Like, the, there's no requirement that you have to go straight into college. That is so underappreciated, I think, the ability for high school seniors to realize that oh, there's a lot of world out there that I haven't seen. Take a uh, break. Think, th- think things through. Yeah, I think it's yeah. in- incredibly undervalued. But like you said, though, <laughs> the future might also look different. And the different degree requirements may not be there. It's tough to know what folks should do without knowing the exact future. But regardless, we're going to talk through some of the different tactics that we can take as individuals to pay for college. And we'll get to some of those right after this. back from the break. Still talking with Ann Garcia. We're talking about how to demolish the cost of college and had some a lot of great info there in, in, in the first bit of the show. But we want to talk specifically, Ann, about how to pay for college and how to get the lowest price possible because... Matt and I like getting the lowest price possible like on everything. Getting, we like getting a deal. Yeah. <laughs> and especially on something that costs as much as college. But I guess the, the first step when it comes to paying less for college is filling out the FAFSA. But a lot of families, as you write about in your book, How to Pay for College, they don't fill it out. How big of a mistake is that? So the FAFSA is really the most important tool in available to families in getting scholarships. And, and families don't fill it out for a lot of reasons. On the one hand, People think, well, I'm not going to get any financial aid, so it's not worth my not worth the time and effort that it takes. And on the other hand, on the other end, you have a lot of students who have less family support. You know, maybe they're first generation students whose whose families aren't familiar with the process, and it's really complex and convoluted, and 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 becomes a barrier as as a result. But if you don't file the FAFSA, you will not be eligible for any need-based financial aid. You will not be eligible for any of the federal financial aid programs, and those include the direct student loan, the Parent PLUS loan, work-study, Pell Grants. And in many cases, merit scholarships still require you to submit the FAFSA in order to be considered for them. 
as a parenting tool, I always hoped that my kids would not take out any student loans to, to go to college. But I felt like having that in my back pocket as a parenting tool, you know, because one of my requirements for them was that they needed to pursue a degree that would lead to a job in addition to, you know, whatever degree they were interested in doing. Now, had they chosen not to do that, I wouldn't have fully pulled the rug out from under them, but I would have them, made them take out the direct student loan every year. Families without financial need who are willing to bear the full cost of college if they think it creates additional opportunities for their child, you know, those families will still benefit from filing the FAFSA just to demonstrate to the college that they are able to, that they're able to pay for college. Hmm. You know, so it's definitely not a tool, you know, not a tool to overlook, but the FAFSA is also a lot like your taxes, you know, you can wait until April 14th, April 15th, and just fill out the form line by line, and you'll be okay. But if you plan for it, um, you might actually do a little better, you know, mm-hmm. in the same way that, you know, there are deadlines to do things to benefit from it on your on your taxes, there are deadlines to do things um, to benefit on the FAFSA. Yeah. So I like that you're starting to talk about the strategy here. <laughs> and and <laughs> at one point in your book, like you mentioned applying to schools that you like that your kids may not even be interested in because the aid offer that they receive can influence what another school might offer you, right? And so essentially what you're talking through, like you're talking about negotiating the price of college here. How does that actually work? Can you talk our listeners through that? Yeah. So when you apply to colleges, you'll get every college along with its acceptance will send you a financial aid award. And they're all going to be different. I mean, my my daughter applied to a few public and a few private um, colleges, and her her net cost after all of the awards she got ranged from eleven thousand dollars a year to fifty seven thousand dollars a year. Wow. Now, the thing that families don't always see is, you know, we let so much of the college narrative be driven by the Ivy Leagues and the Stanfords of the world, which are like, you would be so fortunate if we let you in here. <laughs> Just be grateful to us. The vast majority of colleges are actually actively trying to recruit and enroll students. And the way they do that is by discounting the cost of attendance. Once a college has admitted you, they want you to enroll because they've admitted a certain number of students on the assumption that that some proportion of them is, is actually going to enroll. And when the time comes, they would probably rather discount your tuition a little bit more rather than having an empty seat in the class in the fall. So a good exercise to do is to take all of your financial aid awards, lay them out, compare them, and compare them apples to apples. <laughs> then there is, a, um, there is a worksheet in my book that walks you through the process of how to break down your, your financial aid award. And then if your top choice school isn't your lowest cost school, and there is a comparable school that you've applied to, that's accepted you with a better financial aid award letter, just go back to your, to your top choice and say, hey, I'd love to come, but I can, we can't afford what, what you've offered. I would say the last several years, every one of my clients who has appealed a financial aid award has gotten more financial aid. Really? And that's not because of me. That's because that's how the process works. So, so, like, it's sort of like when your insurance company denies your claim and you write back and you say, please, <laughs> please pay. I did break my leg and need you to cover the cost of it. And 
oftentimes they'll come up with some more money. I College works kind of the same way. Yeah, right. so interesting. No, this is so good. Yeah, yeah. It's like a price match. Yeah, uh, Matt, Matt and I were always <laughs> talking about asking for a discount and how you can't get what you don't ask for. It's amazing to know that almost everybody who asks for a lower sticker price on that college education is going to get it. But most people probably don't even know to write the letter to push back to make the, to ask the question. And I guess exactly. at the end of the day, like you have to make a decision. You got to compare these award letters. It's easier said than done though, right? Because it, schools might take different approaches to the cost of attendance. So what should people keep in mind as they're trying to determine an accurate cost of attendance? Because there's, there's different uh, sections of the cost of college. There's housing, there's meal plans, there's books, right? There's travel budget, all that kind of stuff. How can people think about that holistically? Exactly. And it's like comparing apples to taco salad, as (laughs) as I like to say. Um, So important things when you're looking at a financial aid award letter, one is the total cost of attendance, but then you need to break down the component pieces of it. So like you just said, there's, there's housing, there's meal plans, there's books and supplies, there's tuition and fees. And, and so, so there's, there's two pieces to your award letter. One is what's in the cost of attendance, and the other is what's in your financial aid award. So in our experience, my son applied to two colleges and was accepted to both. One looked like it cost $7,000 a year more than the other. That was his top choice. And we kind of said, you know, we're not really interested in paying $7,000 extra a year for you to have better weather, which seemed like the <laughs> biggest difference between the, two, between the two colleges. And we said, you know, if you can figure this out, you know, we'll support you in it. And what he learned was that the more expensive on paper college had included their highest priced meal plan and their highest priced housing. And the one that seemed less expensive had included their lower cost housing and their lower, lower cost meal plan. So when he looked at where he would actually live and what he would actually eat, suddenly about $4,500 of that difference had evaporated. Hmm. The thing with what's in award letters is colleges use one of two philosophies to in, in calculating cost of attendance. One is followed by colleges that tend to be more generous with need-based financial aid, and that is we can only offer aid up to the total cost of attendance, so we're going to include everything a student might possibly need in the cost of attendance so that we can cover it if, if need be. The other philosophy is we want to minimize the amount that students borrow. Students can't borrow more than the cost of attendance, so we're going to keep the cost of attendance low to minimize borrowing. There are obviously pros and cons to each, to each <laughs> of those. Um, okay, so one of the big variable expenses is always books and supplies. My daughter's college always says $3,000 a year for books and supplies. My son says $800. Wow. Neither of those numbers is right. Your actual <laughs> cost for that is going to depend more on your field of study. So if you have a lot of textbooks, you're going to spend more on books. So you know things like business, sciences, math lots of textbooks. Humanities, not so much. You know, your copy of Hamlet does not cost as much as your copy of Intro to Statistics. Mm. So disregard the fact that one says a lot and the other says a little. Chances are good that if you are pursuing the same degree at, um, at different colleges, your, your cost for books is going to be fairly similar. I found a great way to find out about actual costs like that was to join the Facebook parents group from each of the colleges and just ask people who kids actually attend that college, that college now. Other things we learned, you know, my son, the college that he ultimately ended up attending, um, they guarantee that your tuition won't change for four years. And so even though the tuition was more expensive as freshman year, we could project what the tuition at the other college was going to look like based on the fact that it had gone up 6% every year 
for all the years previous <laughs> previous to that. And guess what? It was going to be, you know, the total tuition cost was going to be this, about the same over four years and potentially even less at the college that he that he chose. Likewise, the college he chose is in a lower cost of living area than than the other, and his his rent is about hundred hundred and fifty dollars a month less on his apartment than any of his friends who who stayed locally and went to and went to college here. So all these things can add up. You know, with my daughter's school, they include the cost of health insurance and cost of attendance. If you have health insurance, you waive it, and voila, college is five thousand dollars a year cheaper. <laughs> but another thing to consider is all the other costs that you're likely to incur as a student. So if you're looking at colleges that are across the country, what's it going to cost to fly back and forth? And not just for the student, but chances are good that the parents are going to want to visit. So make sure that you include that in your considerations. A lot of colleges, particularly bigger colleges, most of the social life revolves around the Greek system. If that's something that you're going to need to do to engage with your campus, factor that into your budget. You know, what are the things you want your student to do? Do you want them to study abroad? Um, do you want them to do um, research programs that might not be paid? So consider all of those things when you're thinking of your total cost of, of attendance. Right. The other important thing about cost of, about the award letter is a need-based financial aid award can include loans and work study as part of the package. And so oftentimes families sort of skim the details and get to the bottom line. They're like, oh, look, this costs $25,000 a year. And this school costs $28,000 a year. But if you look at the actual components of the award, you know, $5,500 of that was was a direct student loan and $3,500 was work study. And that's all your money. So, you know, that college is actually $9,000 a year more expensive right. than the bottom line number shows. Yeah, it, it definitely pays to look at all the line items and seeing if they're including <laughs> that. Oh, by the way, we've got you signed up for <laughs> taking out a bunch of student loans. Yeah. But I really like what you said about your uh the the one college that you're i guess this the one that your son is attending it was that the one that actually has like the price lock where they have agreed yep. that hey yep, the for four tuition years it's an incentive to graduate in four years that is incredible i love that because you now have a fixed cost that you can plan for and so much of this is just up in the air i think that's what i'm realizing more is that this isn't like going to the grocery store and buying a comparing two boxes of cereal. This is like, I mean, this is like choosing <laughs> like a, a partner. Yeah, it's there's, <laughs> There are so many variables and so many different things to take into account that you really do need to look at the overall picture and not just look at whatever number. Because the, the more co complex and complicated things are, I think oftentimes systems, or in this case, colleges, they want to make it easy for you. And so they give you that number. And the default is to just look at that number and say, okay, well, that's just how much that's going to cost. But the more complexity there is, I think the more that we need to kind of dig into the details because the details matter a lot. The details matter a lot. And particularly in college, you know, rounding errors for a lot of parents that I see are, you know, two to $5,000 a year where they're like, well, we'll just figure that out. Well, <laughs> times four years, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And times three kids. you might have more than one kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're talking about multiple years and you're talking about multiple kids and you're you're adding it up to potentially sinking the financial ship of your child or or for a lot of parents taking on those parent plus loans which are horrific as well. Let's talk mm -hmm. about let's talk about scholarships for a second cuz there's financial aid, but how how should parents and kids approach looking to outside scholarship offerings to help minimize costs and and where where are the best places to look and and how much can people expect to find in the scholarship system? 
Yeah, it's a great question and one that so many families come to before. So, so first and foremost, just big picture, there are three types of scholarships. There's institutional need-based aid, there's institutional merit aid, and then there are outside scholarships. Those first two, the institutional ones, come from the colleges themselves and tend to be the much, much larger awards. Outside scholarships are scholarships that are given by anyone other than the college that you attend. And there are tons and tons of those out there. There are tons and tons of websites that have gigantic databases of them as well. You know, places like FastWeb and Scholarly and the College Board's website has a scholarship search function. I encourage people to start locally rather than on those big databases because in the same way that those big databases have loads and loads of scholarships, they have loads and loads of people applying for scholarships through them. So Mm. when you apply for a scholarship there, you might be one of 10,000 applicants. Your high school guidance counselor's office also has a list of scholarships. Many of them are only open to local students and sometimes even just to your high school or just to some subset of your high school. My high school had a scholarship. My kid's high school had a scholarship for someone on the tennis team. There's like 12 people on the tennis team. (laughs) And they're not all seniors. I mean, your odds with that scholarship are really good. Yes, I love that. (laughs) Compared that with the make a duct tape prom dress thing that's on FastWeb. (laughs) There are so many downside risks to that one. so start local, you know, look in your guidance counselor's office, talk with teachers. My, um, my daughter got introduced to a great outside scholarship by her high school computer science teacher. And this scholarship, she gets $5,000 a year, she gets $1,000 a year for technology, and she got a, a corporate mentor who helped her find an internship that led to a full-time job offer when she graduated. So, you know, that's been a terrific scholarship. I will say outside scholarships nine times out of 10 are really good for filling the gap between, you know, for closing a small gap between your budget and your dream school, or maybe making it so that you don't have to take out a student loan at all. They are not typically the difference between a $20,000 a year budget and an $80,000 a year college. Okay. Gotcha. So, so think of them as the icing on the cake, not, not the cake batter. All right. Okay. Uh, What about other ways to help pay for college? So I was an RA when I was in school, Uh, Mm -hmm. not the best RA, but I was one. And uh, (laughs) like, I also had an on-campus job. And so like, are those the kind of things that they helped me reduce the cost of college, but I'm also 39. It's been a minute. So how impactful are doing those things to lower that, that college cost as well? I think being an RA is a great path for students for whom that job is a fit. It's definitely not a fit for ev- any for everyone. You know, you typically get, you know, free housing and at least a discounted meal plan. The thing to be cognizant of the the job description for RAs varies widely from campus to campus, you know, and 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 I look at this for my kids having gone through college during the COVID years, you know, and hearing from their friends, you know, a lot of times RAs were responsible for for enforcing COVID policies or their overnight security in the dorms, you know, manning the front desk 24 hours a day. In other places, they're more just a resource for for students, for resolving resolving issues and, and whatnot. So just make sure if that's a path that you're on, it's probably good if you've done something you know, job related, job related, you know, that's related to that, whether it's being a camp counselor or babysitting or, you know, something that involves 
working with and potentially dealing with conflict with with other people. On-campus jobs can be great. Oftentimes, they come with added benefits. So like at my son's college, if you work in the dining halls, they give you a 50% discount on your meals. So not just... You know, so not just a paycheck, but an actual reduction in in your cost. But there are lots of other ways to um, to reduce the cost of college. My uh, my son has a friend who just graduated from college for free. Um, wow. She worked at Starbucks and took advantage of their partnership with Arizona State to do online college for three and a half years. And she graduated in January, and she's gonna she's doing her student teaching right now. And come fall, she'll be a teacher. And she spent zero dollars. On college, so there are lots of companies that provide, you know, free tuition to online colleges, and typically it's online simply because that cost fits within the IRS's level of of what you can provide as a tax free benefit. Students can get college credits while they're in high school: AP, IB, dual credit dual enrollment where you go to a community college for your last two years of high school, all those ways that you can accumulate credits can can do a great job of reducing the time that you spend in college as long as you apply to colleges that will give you credit for the credit that you got in high school. So if that's you, just make sure that as part of your college research, you're Googling what the college's transfer credit policy is to see if you will if, if all of your credits will be accepted. Awesome. One of the biggest ways to save money on college, though, is to find colleges that offer scholarships to you. And part, a big part of that is enrolling in college as a freshman. So in many cases, it's actually cheaper to go to a four-year college for four years because they're much more generous with scholarships for incoming freshmen than they are for transfer students. Interesting. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that either. So, okay. We, we have a couple more questions we want to get to with you. And we want to talk about student loans in particular and, and maybe get your take on a rule of thumb on that. And also talk about 529 plans. How effective are those when it comes to saving for college? We'll, we'll talk about those things right after this. All right, we are back from the break talking about demolishing those college costs with Ann Garcia. And and you are a financial planner. So let's zoom out a little bit and talk about 529 accounts because the, the new rules, they've made them a lot more flexible, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, like we used to be like much less inclined <laughs> to recommend them uh, because your money was essentially was pigeonholed. But that's changed a good bit since uh, Secure Act 2.0. Uh, how, like, what are your thoughts on saving early for a kid's college? Uh, you know, with your clients, how do you approach those conversations? So I'm a big advocate of 529s, even pre Secure Secure 2.0. That okay. One of the one of the most interesting things I've learned is students whose families have saved for college in virtually any amount not only enroll in college at higher rates, but they graduate from college at higher rates. And of course, there's chicken and egg in there, right? If I'm saving for your college, I'm probably talking to you about going to college. (laughs) It's probably come up and and it's an expectation. But the fact that students graduate at higher rates if their parents have saved is, is, I think, an important consideration. I think it's unlikely that two parents who themselves have degrees, who have multiple children, the odds that none of them goes to college and has or has any use for a 529 is slim to none. You know, and the advantages of tax-free growth and and distributions are 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 huge. You know, it basically makes your money worth about 
20, 25% more. What does it look like to have those conversations from with your kiddo about going to college? You say that we should have them at an early age, but what's early and what should those conversations look like? Yeah, it's such a good question. So this is not about telling your kid when they're in preschool that you're enrolling them in this preschool because they have a higher percentage of people who go to Harvard from that preschool. <laughs> <laughs> It's about, so with young kids, I think it's great to introduce the notion of college as something that you want for your student. Maybe it's something that enriched your own life and and to do it in, in age appropriate ways. So when my kids were young, we would always go, um, when we went back to my hometown, we would stay with my friend Kelly, who is a college friend, and we would go to a football game on campus and you know, and that was a great activity for them to see, you know, here's a, here's a, a, a lifelong friend of mine who's someone I met in college. Um, here are fun things we did as college students. It just made the whole topic of college kind of interesting to my kids. You know, maybe it's something like there's a thunderstorm and, hey, I never knew about how thunderstorms happen until I took a meteorology class in college and I learned about fronts colliding. And as you can probably tell, I didn't actually take a meteorology <laughs> class. <in college>. <laughs> <laughs> but just talk about, talk about college. I, I call them college-adjacent conversations. So not you're going to college or here's when you apply for college or here's what you can afford for college, but just here are good things about, about college. Once your kids get to the age where money starts to make more sense to them, you can be introducing the topic of college costs. I think talking about college and money is important to talk about from the perspective of goals as opposed to from the perspective of limitations. So a conversation that's about limitations is we've only saved this much for college, so you have to stay in state. A conversation that's about goals is we've been saving hard for your college, and it's really important to us that you go to college and that you don't take out a lot of student loans. And so we have saved enough that we know that can happen at our in-state colleges. And you can probably find some other options that work within that budget as well. We're happy to support you in, in researching them and looking for them. I like it. Yeah, you're kind of taking the positive spin approach <laughs> when it comes to, well, it, I guess it makes it more exciting too, right? As opposed to it feeling like this, like a limited kind of closed-ended system or closed loop. It feels like this thing that is expansive, but there are just going to be certain parameters about maybe what college you do attend and how much it's going to cost. But let's say that there's a family out there and they don't have money set aside for their kid to attend college. They're likely going to take on student loans. Uh, so yep. do you have a like a helpful rule of thumb for how much debt that college students should be willing to take on? So, you know, the federal government has a great rule of, of thumb. The Department of Education actually limits the amount of, of federal student loans that a student can take out as an undergraduate. And so students can borrow $5,500 their first year, $6,500 their second year, and $7,500 each of their last two years or three years if, if need be. So a student on a four-year path who takes out the direct student loan every year is going to graduate with having borrowed $27,000, there'll be some interest accrued on those loans. And that translates to a monthly payment of around $325 for 10 years. So that's a great investment in your education. I think for students to go beyond that is, is, is very, very risky. One of the main reasons that students drop out of college is the financial burden of college. And so if you take on loans and don't earn the degree that gives you the earning power to pay back those loans, 
you're you're worse off than 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 if you never went in in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's good to look at what some of the other pathways out there are. You know, maybe your state offers free community college and you can do that for a couple of years. Maybe there's a local four-year college that you can that you can attend where you know, you can you can live at home. Maybe you do what my son's friend did and work at Starbucks or one of the other companies that has a a, a free tuition program so that you can limit your costs. When parents are talking about taking out loans, um, taking out Parent PLUS loans, first and foremost, regardless of who's going to be responsible for the loan, you always want to start by borrowing the direct student loan. The interest rates on it are much lower, and it's much more likely that the student will have an income low enough that they can um, that they can get the, the tax deduction for, for student loan interest. So regardless of who's going to pay it, make the direct student loan your starting point. Parent PLUS loans have really high interest rates and really high fees. Now, if you are a younger parent relative to your student and you have potentially a long career path in front of you, those parent, after your kid graduates from college, those parent plus loans maybe aren't so detrimental, you know, if you, if you keep it within balance. You know, again, this is something that closes a small gap, not that is the difference between a $20,000 a year and an $80,000 a year, a year college. A lot of people didn't have kids till they were in their 30s. And if that's you, you're going to be in your 50s when your kids graduate from college. And you might not have a really long time horizon between graduation and retirement to get those loans paid off. The biggest area of growing student loan debt is Parent PLUS loans. And many, many, many parents are taking those loans into, into retirement where they're you know draining their retirement savings um, to, to, to pay off student loans. And, and so... So I do think if you don't have savings for college, you really want to look at all the other pathways that are out there for your student to go. And I would also say, if you're the parent of a high school student who hasn't yet saved, it's not too late to start, you know, and you will give your kid a little bit of a head start. Not only that, but if you use a 529 and your state offers a tax incentive for contributions, that's a way to get some more free money into into your college savings savings plan. So like here in Oregon, our plan offers a refundable tax credit, which means that even if you have no tax liability, you can still get the tax benefit of making the contribution. Mm-hmm. And in fact, even, even kids who have any earned income can contribute to their own 529 and, and get the tax credit. So they're basically getting free, free dollars for, for college. But again, look at those alternate pathways like free community college, and also, if, if you are a low-income family who hasn't saved because you just don't have the money to save, look for colleges that are generous with need-based financial aid. Unfortunately, that's not typically your state schools other than free community college, but many private colleges are very, very generous with need-based financial aid as they're trying to diversify their student, their student body. Kind of a rule of thumb is if your student receives free and reduced lunch, they're probably eligible for a Pell Grant. And a Pell Grant is, is an, a nice chunk of, of free money that they get. And many colleges for students who, you know, for students who receive Pell Grants, they will cover the rest of, of the students' costs. That's a whole lot of info. And man, I really appreciate that. I'm curious, one, one last question for you. Uh, what's your take on the new income-based repayment plan that's likely to go into effect? What kind of impact is that likely to have? It sure seems like no matter how much people take on in student loans, there's going to be a more generous participation from the federal government when it comes to paying those back. 
Yeah. You know, I think this is one of the areas where where our our public policy disconnect from education is is really is extraordinarily detrimental for for young people. So public policy to me is more than just providing Pell Grants and student loans. Public policy is things like we have a nursing shortage and yet getting into nursing school is like getting into Harvard. You know, we have an engineering shortage. We're not creating new engineering programs. We're offering H-1B visas to tech companies who want to hire hire Mm. engineers. So it would be lovely if there was more of that type of public policy in involvement in in education, what we do have instead is the ability to um, to target dollars towards this. I think that this new program is going to be is going to be really wonderful for a lot of professions. One of the things that happens typically it is students with um, graduate school debt who get into income-based repayment. And I know a lot of people see that and say, well, these are doctors and lawyers. Why should we be helping them? They can pay off their own loans. In fact, it's veterinarians, it's physical therapists, it's social workers, it's nurses, it's teachers. And what happens with these income-based repayment plans is because it's not a fully amortized loan, you're not making a monthly principal and interest payment. In many cases, because the payment is calculated based on your income, you're not even covering the interest payment. So I had a client who, she's a therapist, got her master's degree, borrowed $70,000 to pay for her degree. Since In the 10 years since she had graduated, she had paid $80,000 on that $70,000 loan, and she now owed $90,000 because that interest continues to accrue on the loan. It was absolutely suffocating for her. And the path that she was on, she would get to loan forgiveness eventually, but that debt would be taxable to her and the loan balance would continue to grow because of that accrued interest. And so she would have a taxable forgiveness debt of something like we, we were projecting that it would be somewhere around $250,000. So paying taxes oh on $250,000 that you don't have, that you didn't actually get, when over the course of the lifetime, she would have paid more than $250,000 toward that $70,000 debt. Is, you know, this is a huge, huge, huge issue. So because we have this system where we've put the burden of financing education on young people, and we've burdened them with additional degree requirements, because now many, many not high-paying career paths require master's or doctorates, the purpose of the new pay- payment plan, and I give you this long backstory so you can understand, so that people can understand what the what the issue here is. With the new repayment plan, one of the biggest benefits to borrowers is that interest won't uh, continue to accrue on your loan while you're in repayment, regardless of what your payment is. So, in the example of my client, who despite paying eighty thousand dollars on a seventy thousand dollar debt, now owed ninety thousand dollars, that won't happen in the future and students will actually be able to repay their loans or to be contributing a portion of their salary for for 10 or 20 years depending on the types of loans that they have and then have that balance um, forgiven and it won't be as onerous as having $250,000 forgiven when you borrowed 70000 and paid 250000 Right. Yeah. So there's definitely, you can see where the relief can come in and be a, just a, a lifesaver for many folks. But I do agree. I, I wish there can be some more creative solutions that the, where the government can target specific industries or uh, just different programs as opposed to 
what feels like a, a general solution, like a general Band-Aid that might only be a Band-Aid as opposed to maybe addressing some of the underlying causes. But Anne, this has been a, a great conversation. We really do appreciate you taking the time and talking through ways for us to reduce the cost of college. Where can folks learn more about what you're up to? And specifically, where can folks buy your book? First of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure talking with you both. My website is howtopayforcollege.com, and I have tons and tons of free content there that's all about paying for college. I also have my college financial plan masterclass on my website. That's a course that's designed for families of high school students who really want to build out a detailed um, plan for applying, funding, and choosing um, and choosing a college. And then my book is How to Pay for College, and that's available from Amazon, bookshop.org, you know, bookstores everywhere. That's great. And thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Matt, you got to love someone who can break down something really complicated in a pretty straightforward and simple way. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to consider when it comes to the cost of college. But I feel like Anne laid out a bunch of helpful information, like yeah. how to proceed, right? Some, how to make it happen. Some actionable advice. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even realize that the, those third-party scholarships that you get that look at with those online websites, those were just icing on the cake. I didn't realize yeah. that they were that insignificant. Yeah. But yeah. You got to look towards those institutional uh, scholarships. Yeah. The funds that you get there. But that's well, the cake batter. Well, <laughs> that's, where's, your, where's the beef? <laughs> <laughs> You're always looking for that. Uh, what was your big takeaway, though, from this combo? Okay. So mine also has to do with scholarships. And I really, really like that she said to start locally when it comes to the different scholarships that might be available for your kid. If you go straight to, like you said, the, the scholies and fast webs, if you go straight to these resources that, by the way, are accessible to millions and millions of people, there's a, there's going to be less of a chance of you actually getting that Yeah. versus something that might be set up locally. Maybe it's something for your specific county or even maybe there is an alum there at the high school that your, your kid went to. And every year they award a certain amount of funds towards a, a scholar, towards a, a young student who's going to be going down a, a specific degree, right? A, a specific path of education. So I really like that. And the added benefit there is I think this is also, it's just less likely going to be what a lot of students are doing today anyway. Yeah. I think it seems just a little bit easier to, okay, I'm just going to search this on the web, see what pulls up, as opposed to going in person, having yeah. that face-to-face -face conversation. I think there are going to be less folks doing that anyway. I'm just looking for scholarships on TikTok, Matt, okay? <laughs> now, we got to zig when other people are zagging. Exactly. And if, and if you go in a different direction that very few people are, are exploiting, it can help you pay for college. Yeah, yeah. What if there's a scholarship that's only available if you uh, write a letter by hand and, <laughs> and, and send it in the... I don't know. You know in cursive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I'm yeah, being facetious here, but like I think there are going to be more opportunities for students who do actually go talk to that guidance counselor. I think yeah. that's huge. I think the biggest takeaway for me was just the list price versus the actual price. And it was so fascinating. You mentioned 180% increase mm -hmm. over, what, the last 20-something years in the, the price that we pay for college. But Anne, very quickly dispelled the myth that college costs that much more. She said, no, actually, that's the sticker price. But the, what people actually pay is is far less than that. And uh, I, 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 man, I also love, there was so much good information, but just like how different those 
uh, award letters can be that they might be apples and what she said chicken salad taco salad taco salad yeah <laughs> yeah and that's just kind of fascinating to know you got to dig into the details because and we want it to be easy yeah it's, again like especially when it's complex we want it to be easy and so we're just going to go look at the bottom line we're going to look at what they we, bah, 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 yeah. and it spits out a number but, but this is a up, big decision it's up to us and if we if we take the easy route and we don't compare all the details we are liable to pay too much sign our kid up for the Lexus level food plan or something like that that they don't need or even want. And so I think yeah, it's important to dig into those details to make sure, one, that you're paying not the actual list price, but two, that you're not signing up for something or neglecting maybe a college that offers you a better actual price because you haven't dug into the details and sure, you haven't yeah. realized, wait a second, they're quoting, the, the quote seems higher than it should be. Oh, it's because they're including this, this, and this, and we don't need the health insurance. So boom, boom, boom. Wow. Now it turns out the college we really wanted to go to doesn't cost as much as we thought. They got this one set up to, to where all the kids are staying in the penthouse. Yeah. Sweet, you know, like that, my kid doesn't need that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Put them in the basement uh, apartment and <laughs> yeah, that'll save us. Let's save some couple G's. Big bucks. Yeah. Uh, let's introduce the beer. You and I, we enjoyed a Spontanail, a um, little mashup of spontaneous and ale so spontaneous this is a beer by mckeller what were your thoughts on this one buddy okay so this one i've been sitting on honestly for probably like eight years what yeah really no joke and it's it's a lovely beer i don't know if i've ever had this beer before but i've literally had it on my shelf for a long time just letting it age <laughs> just sitting there and it has gotten it's better really, with age it's, it's really good. so good how do you know it's gotten better if you've never had it you're right i don't know maybe it, i'm assuming what if it was even better before it, i can't imagine it's, it's uh, just degraded i can't imagine because it's delightful it was subtly oaky little funk little tart it was exactly yep. what i want yep. in a spontaneously yep. fermented beer this one was off the charts you hit all the tasting notes that i I was planning to cover as well, man. Yeah, this was a, a really tasty one. And even though it had some unique kind of funky flavors, I this is the kind of beer that I would love to, if I had a beer, which I don't, every night at dinner. Th- th- this is like a really nice table beer, yeah. right? Because it's, it's not like it, there was a certain flavor pushing it in one direction or the other. It was just a nice, overall, well-balanced beer with a lot of... D- Fantastic flavors going on. Interesting uh, without really, being too much. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I really liked it. Glad you and I got to share this one. Thank you for bringing this one in to the podcast for us to drink here in front of all the people. Well, my wife is glad that it's no longer <laughs> on the shelf at home. She's like tired of tired of looking at that dumb <laughs> bottle. Uh, but that's going to be it. We'll make sure to link to Anne's site, her book, where it is that you can purchase that. Uh, you can find that up on the website at howtomoney.com. Joel, that's going to be it for this episode, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's Upswell marketing.com. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. 
Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.